Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. I have three pieces of news for you. Are you ready? Do you have a pencil? Do you need to go get one? I'll wait. Do you have one? Awesome! Write this down so you don't forget. First, there is now an ADHD Essentials Facebook group, so come on in and join the fun. And speaking of fun on Facebook, I'll be joining Eric Tibbers of ADHD Rewired for our monthly live Q&A on Facebook. It's the second Tuesday of every month at 1.30 Eastern, 12.30 Central. Go to ADHD Rewired slash events for more details. Finally, I want you to know that I'm closing registration for the parent coaching groups on Monday, June 25th. If you're interested, you can contact me directly at brendan at adhdessentials.com or go to adhdessentials.com slash parent groups for more details. Monday, June 25th is a little more than a week from the day this episode airs. So if you're listening to it after it first drops, pay attention to the day. And if you're listening to this after Monday, June 25th, what's the future like? Space is limited for the coaching groups. I imagine there's plenty of space in the future. Space is limited, so please contact me as soon as you get the opportunity. This is episode 23. For this episode, I got to reconnect with an old friend who I haven't seen since college. It's amazing what social media and a podcast can do. Meg is surrounded by ADHD, as you'll hear, but our conversation was surprisingly focused, probably because she's a former stage manager. We talk about the challenges of getting kids to try new foods and ways to overcome those challenges, the value of leaning into your kids' need for independence, and how the theater can help our older children make friends. All right, let's get rolling. So I am here interviewing a friend of mine from high school, and we haven't spoken in like 20 years, I guess, ish, because we went to college a little bit. Yeah, together. probably but, since you know, college. Yeah, so a little over Probably 20 since college. And you were telling me that your whole family, like you're just chock full of ADHD and surrounded by it all the time. So can you go into that a little bit so we can, so the listeners can kind of see what that sure. is? Sure. I grew up with, actually ADD, which was a different segment at the time and now is no longer recognized because my brother was diagnosed when he was seven or eight. I think with ADD, there is no H in him whatsoever. (laughs) Now we call that primarily inattentive. Oh, interesting. I did. I hadn't heard that part. So I'm glad to know that there's still a, a designation because he's very clearly ADD, but very clearly not hyperactive. Okay. Um, so he was diagnosed when, when he was probably eight, which puts me at six. So there's not a time in my life that I remember being without ADD in my life or ADHD in my life. And my husband was diagnosed actually as an adult seven years ago. Um, my daughter has not been officially diagnosed because she's five. 
so she's too young, but she, um, it is generally agreed that she is, she will be officially diagnosed when she is old enough for the testing. My, and both my niece and nephew have ADHD. I think that my nephew is diagnosed and my niece might not be yet. And are these your brother's kids or your husband's siblings' kids? My sister's kids. Wow. That's a lot of ADHD in the family. We're surrounded. I'm surrounded. <laughs> my mom, my mom thinks that she has it on a, a sort of a, I don't know if there's a scale as far as ADHD is concerned in the same way that there's a spectrum. Yeah. It's on a spectrum. But my mom, yeah. My mom thinks that she has it as well. And probably also my sister. Holy cow. My mom, my sister, and my husband can never be still. They kind of don't know how. How does that play out in, in your family or in your interactions with them? It means that they have no problem getting their steps in. No, I mean, it, it, it means that they're, I would say, even far more active than the, I don't like to use the word normal because that, I don't the like the connotations of that. Yeah, than the average person. Um, you know, if I'm like sitting down to do laundry, they're like, let's go for a walk. And I'm like, I'm trying to do this thing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting here folding laundry. I have purpose in my day, but I'm not like, I don't, I don't need to, you know, get up and move around. I'm just all is well. I'm here. Right. But it's hard for them to understand because they're all in it together. <laughs> my mom and my husband get along very well in part because of that shared connection. Okay. And you mentioned that your parents and your sister all live relatively close to you. Yes, I would say we live within a three-mile radius. So you must get together a fair amount. Yes, there's a lot of kid sharing and cousin visiting and that kind of thing going around. Sort of when everyone gets together, does that increase the ADHD? Does it loosen, relax <laughs> it? Does it make does stuff stay the same? There's just more people moving. What does that look That's like? That's an interesting question. Actually, um, my daughter, we have realized, doesn't eat when we get together for a family dinner, really, she gets too hyped up and she can't like sit down at the table and have a meal. We sort of have to feed the kids a little in advance because it overloads her system and she gets overwhelmed. She can't do it. She's too excited about all of her family being there. That makes complete sense, but it's not something I've heard before. Yeah. Especially because my niece and nephew are also ADHD. So they don't want to sit long if they can say go outside and play mm -hmm. we put the kids plates together first and let them start and then we all start together as adults and they we try to have them sit for a little while for family connection and whatnot but if it's clear it's not happening we know it's not going to happen and so they're usually released <laughs> usually released so are well, you that's a weird way of putting it, but yeah. No, that's a completely appropriate way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> like a dove release and ADHD kids is not that dissimilar in terms of the yes. direction people are heading in and the amount of energy that's being expelled. That's oh my gosh, the energy part. involved. So when you're giving them sort of food in advance, right? When you're giving all the kids the, their meals prior to the adult sitting down, why does that work? I'm assuming it works because it's something that you're doing more than once. Because the three of them are in it together. Okay. What changes when the adults sit down? Overstimulation. Too many people 
talking to them and uh, like the older two are okay. So the, the kids are, my nephew is about to be 10. My niece is about to be eight and my daughter just turned five. So they're actually just, um, they're separated by just two years apiece. Um, the older two can sometimes hold it together, but my daughter most certainly cannot. Wow. That's really interesting. And that's a really clever yeah. way to solve the problem is to kind of, as I said, we're surrounded. <laughs> yeah. But just having the table a little less crowded so that they can focus on their food is good. We've sometimes done kid table and that can work if they're interested in what they're going to be eating. That's another question. <laughs> <laughs> but we also take that into account with menu because certain members of the family have like allergies. Well, yes, allergies, but sensitivity more uh, like a sensory issue. Uh, both my mom and my nephew have sensory issues as far as food goes. So there are certain things that they cannot or will not eat. My nephew for like two years, all he was willing to eat, and I am not kidding, were McDonald's chicken nuggets. Oh, wow. My sister tried everything. And the doctor was finally like, look, he's so skinny. Mm -hmm. Just let him have him. It's not like we have to worry about obesity on his end. And he wouldn't eat them if she made them at home. She tried different brands. She tried different shapes and flavor, nothing. And my mom is similar. She, she, my mom cannot eat spicy things. She will not go near Mexican or Indian food. She, like the idea of curry is abhorrent to her. <laughs> so we have to take the whole family into consideration when we plan the menu. Like, are the kids going to eat this thing? They're not going to eat this kind of potatoes, but we can set aside some and mash them separately and do that. And how did your nephew or how did your sister or however it worked, how did they get your nephew eating something other than McDonald's chicken nuggets? It just kind of happened over time. It just was one of those things that he finally sort of started. I think she would try giving him other things. She was really careful about the juice she would buy. For instance, she would buy like V8. Um, V8 Fusion because it has vegetables and fruit in it. Okay. Okay. So even though certain pediatricians say, you know, don't give a lot of juice because it's better for them to eat the fruit. Well, if they won't eat the fruit, then this is another option. And so she would do that to at least get some nutrition into their lives. And has his diet expanded now that he's... Yes, but not as much as other kids. Okay. Something I've done with my kids, with my boys, when we were trying to get them to eat more, we did, we used two strategies that were pretty effective actually. Um, mm -hmm. and, and a third one that was sort of by accident. Um, <laughs> the, Sometimes those work the best. Yeah. Yeah. The two that were on purpose, we had omnivorous October, which was every October, every week in October, they had to try something new. This week you're trying corn and next week you're trying we did hamburgers, and I don't remember what the other two weeks were the first time we did it. And then after that, it just kind of added some stuff in. And so we've expanded their palate a little bit that way. Right. The other thing I did was I bought cricket bars, like the protein bars that are made out of cricket flour. I made a deal where if they would try something new, I would eat crickets. Because <laughs> that's gross. And I also wound up eating like crickets crickets at one point. They were like covered in chocolate or something. I got them. I don't remember where I got them, but I came across them one day. I'm sorry. I don't think I could. Okay. My husband would do that, but I would not. It's just as gross for them, potentially, to be eating whatever I'm asking them to eat as it would be for me to eat. Right. A right. 
it felt like a fair trade and I'm letting them know that I'm willing to make the same sacrifice that they're making. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's like, you're not, if you're the boss, that whole thing, like don't ask your employees to do anything you wouldn't do. Absolutely. That's funny. I love it. Yeah. And then the one that worked by accident was holidays. Cause you go to a holiday and just like, and there's all those different things. Yeah. There's different meals and people make a big deal out of them. Right. right. So like, like at Passover, cause my wife is Jewish. Uh-huh. So at Passover, we go to my in-laws and matzo ball soup is a big deal. And so Gavin loves matzo balls. And that's just because that was a big deal thing. And he had some and it wasn't, no one really thought they were going to eat it. It was just given to them. It worked out. Yeah. And Nathan yeah. took, I think it took Nate like two or three Passovers before matzo balls became a thing that he actually would eat. But Gavin right away was like, this is great. So, and the matzo balls for him shifted into meatballs too. Oh yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> um, it worked out for us differently, far differently than my sister, because my husband actually went to culinary school when we lived in California. He has had an extremely varied life. He's extremely intelligent and um, has, been, has lived all over the world because he was in the service. And because he has ADHD. And because he has ADHD, um, he, he has a degree in landscape design and operations. But for instance, at one point, he was actually studying engineering at the Catholic Lunar University of Leuven in Flemish. Wow. Yeah, right? So anyway, he, he's always been interested in food and actually thought about becoming a chef for a long time when he lived in the Boston area. But when we lived in California, it was during the, the recession. And he was like, you know, he was working, but he was like, you know, I'm not doing anything I'm interested in. And I'm not doing anything I love. I'm going to, I want to try to go to school as well. So he was working like retail on top of going to school. Mm-hmm. So he went to culinary school, um, which he wasn't actually able to finish because he ended up having to have back surgery. When he went back to the school, they said, oh, uh, we just actually changed our entire curriculum and you have to start again. And he wasn't willing to do that. So he is not officially a chef, but did quite a lot of the program. And so I would say that he and I probably eat very differently than the average family, Mm -hmm. um, in part because of that, because he has such an interest in food and because he loves cooking. So we actually eat at home, I would say 90 to 95% of the time and cook from scratch. Wow. Same thing. That's cool. So my daughter grew up with that. Um, and actually like at, at what point in time, my husband is, I love him, but he is a very messy chef in the kitchen. Every bowl is used. Every counter is covered. ADHD. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) ADHD. Um, so at some point he was, he was chopping garlic and my daughter actually picked a slice of raw garlic up off the floor when she was like one. So she's toddling around, picked it up off the floor and ate it. She loved it. Really? And so, yeah. So as a child, as a small person, she ate all kinds of different things. And then it's interesting because, you know, she spent a lot of time with her cousins because when I was working full time, when she was very small, she actually stayed with my sister because my sister at the time was a stay at home mom. 
And so she was home with her too. So she just took on my daughter as well. Now, the additional part here is that my daughter was born with a cleft lip and palate. So I couldn't just send her to a um, childcare center because the care and feeding of that is such a specific thing. Mm-hmm. So my sister was like, don't worry about it. I've got her. She'll be with family, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So during that time, she learned how to be picky (laughs) (laughs) because she was with my niece and nephew who were more picky. So she sort of started adjusting her eating habits. And then when she started going to preschool, Mm -hmm. when she was 19 months, then she was having a positive reinforcement towards trying different foods because there were, you know, other and older kids in the classroom who were trying them. So she actually branched out quite a bit from that. So that's good. Yeah, I would say she's probably a better eater than a lot of kids her age. But, I'm, you know, given this day and age with all the different options and the different ki- kinds of eating that d- people do, there are, I'm certain, kids who are far more advanced eaters than she is. But she will, there are certain kinds of Chinese food she will eat. Um, She doesn't have the same issues with texture. Like we wouldn't eat Chinese food as kids. We thought it was terrifying. Why? I don't know. We all love it now. But like she doesn't have issues with textures. You know, we try her, we feed her a lot of different kinds of textures. And and that's an important element, right? Because that's that's a component of food that lots of adults forget about. And that sensory side of eating matters. So it might very well be the texture that's an issue for your kids. Like I can remember times when, when the boys were younger and not them, but like friends of ours who would be like, I don't know, my kid, like one day he likes bananas and the next day he won't eat it. And I was right. like, what's your, the bananas. Right. The texture of the bananas makes a big difference to her. Yeah. Yeah. It Absolutely. might not be the flavor. It might be the texture. Fruit texture can change pretty dramatically. Overnight. Right. Yeah, no, she will eat a good ripe banana, but once it starts to get a little brown and mushy, it's not happening. It's easy for us to forget that. And another mm-hmm. thing I've been thinking about recently is how as we get older, not that I'm getting older, um, <laughs> is that as we we're get older- gonna, We're not going to talk about that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that comes up, right, is like, oh, my hearing is going. My eyesight is weaker. But- I've always no, had horrible eyesight, so you don't yeah. have me on that one. <laughs> right. But then- what we don't consider is that, you know what else is going? Your sense of taste. And so mm. that's why there's stuff that you will eat now that your kids won't. Like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Brussels sprouts are yeah. not as bitter to me now as they were when I was seven. So now I like them. But back in the day, they were awful. And I'm sure my kids who are nine are like, why do you like this? I'm wacky in that way because I have an overactive bitterness sense. So I don't, I don't drink beer. I don't love spinach or greens. Yeah. Brussels sprouts are like, I can, I can eat them if they're prepared in certain ways, you know, but there, there are things that I cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Um, so I, I was not expecting to start with food, <laughs> but that's pretty cool. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure that those are challenges that lots of our, my listeners can relate to and are, are like, yeah, Absolutely. I to eat more food. I'm going to buy some cricket bars. Um, um, what we do with my daughter. Oh, so this is where I was actually going with my husband and his, his culinary background. Mm-hmm. Because he loves to cook and neither of them sit well, my daughter loves to cook with him. Okay. 
And so that's sort of a thing that um, works as well is that she is part of the food preparation. Right. And that helps her to see what she's eating and then try it. But there got, there came to be a point not that long ago where she just, even if she helped make it, she wouldn't try it. Mm-hmm. And there are times like there's some things that I'm like, we're going to, we're going to sit down and try this. And I, there's a face she makes that I know once she makes that face, it's not happening. And it's not worth the struggle from my end because it's going to be a battle. And what I really don't want is for her to grow up with food issues. I right. don't want her to be unwilling to try things or I refuse to eat that or what have you because of how we helped her learn to try new things. We know from developmental psychology that your daughter, who is five, is right in that sweet spot where kids' foods narrow, like what a kid is willing to eat starts to narrow. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and evolutionary psychology, which is pretty speculative, obviously, but the, right. the theory going is that the reason for that is if we're out in the savanna, because all of evolutionary psychology is if you're out in the savanna, <laughs> the kid who continues to explore new foods once they become mobile and can get away from their parents is more likely to eat something poisonous and die. And the kid who sort of sticks to what they know and maybe even a little bit less than that is less likely to die because they're not taking the same kinds of risks in terms of- That's interesting. I would have thought of it the opposite because the kids who are likely, and I, I hear where they're coming from in terms of the poison- and trying different things, but also you would think that they might find something new that they could eat that would help sustain them. Yeah, maybe. But that's not the going theory. Yeah, yeah I hear the, you. And the going theory is pretty heavily reliant upon the fact that kids' tastes narrow right when they start to get mobile enough to get away from their parents. Yeah, ADHD kids, I think that happens a lot earlier. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My kid is always trying to be, get, be getting away from her parents. <laughs> Um, I'm always talking to parents of young kids. I'm like, yeah, that, that's supposed to happen. Like that's their tastes always narrow around this time and they'll expand again. You just kind of have to support them and help them do it. Yeah. For our guys, it didn't start happening in a big way until they were about eight. How old are they now? They're nine. So we're, we're only just now starting to really see an expanse of what they'll eat. My nephew is nine and he is starting to branch out a little bit, but I would say it was around four or five that he went through that chicken nuggets phase. Yep. That fits. Yeah. That makes total sense. Interesting. Yeah. And like I've noticed one of my favorite family meals is when we have tacos. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we, we sort of take the meat and put that in a bowl and put it on the table and the lettuce is in a bowl and on the table and the cheese and the salsa and all that stuff. And everyone makes their own tacos at the right. table. As opposed to most of our other meals, which are sort of plated before they come to the table. And it, it changes the focus of our dinner because everyone's right. sort of reaching and grabbing and scooping and eating. And it's just a much more contained family meal. Than, but also relaxed and informal. Right. Yeah. As opposed to say even like hamburgers and hot dogs or something like that. That's also a right. fairly informal meal. But because it's already on the plate, there's already fries, there's already a hamburger there's a different connotation. Yeah. So my husband, what he started to say to my daughter is that you can't cook with me unless you're willing to try it. Mm-hmm. Because he said, you know, if, if you want to learn to cook, chefs have to taste their food. <laughs> you have to taste regularly and often because you've got to know what it is so that you can adjust if you need to. 
So he's, he's sort of taking that tack with her and she loves cooking. So it, in its, its way, it sort of works. You know, there are definitely foods that we know that she loves and she eats them on a very regular basis and whatnot. But we try also, you know, she gets, she can pick two different kinds of a calcium at each meal. So she can have some cheese or she can have some yogurt. Mm-hmm. But by making it her choice, she takes a greater interest in what it is. She can have different kinds of fruit in a meal. She could have fresh fruit, she could have dried fruit, or she could have some applesauce. You know, all of those are totally different textures, which also appeals, but she has the choice. So if she is choosing what she's going to eat, there's a greater likelihood. And of course, it doesn't work for really small kids, but as she's growing, there's a greater likelihood that she will actually eat what she's choosing. Yeah. One one of the things that I that was a breakthrough for us was instead of saying you need to have a like a fruit and a vegetable, I started saying you just have to have a plant. Like you just got to eat a plant. <laughs> and it just made it easy. Yeah, I'm the same. My grandmother definitely subscribed to the school of you eat what's on your plate. Mm-hmm. Everything has to go. And I know that that has been detrimental to me, to my psyche in certain ways growing up. So okay. I always say to her, you know, you make the choices and you don't have to eat it all, but you're not getting more later. Right. This is the time and this is what it is. And you can have more if you're still hungry. But if you tell me in five minutes that you're done, I'm not going to get you a snack later. Yep. Because this is dinner time. And that's what works for us. It's not what's going to work for everybody by any stretch. But it's, it's working for us at this time. It's great that you have that mentality of like it, one, that it works for us doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And two, that you're like, it Absolutely. works right now. And yeah. <laughs> from now, it might not work anymore. We might have to change the plan. Well, it's like trying to get your kid to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're a baby, you put them to sleep wherever they're willing to sleep. Right. Because you need to sleep too. Otherwise, it's really bad for everybody involved. So you try a bunch of different places. You try a bunch of different options as long as they're safe. Yep. Off you go. Yeah. You know, and so, so food is a very similar kind of thing. As long as you're being safe, as long as we're not eating something we really shouldn't, we try different things. We check it out. We see what works. And if it works for a while, then it works for a while. Great. You know, for a long time, she loved couches because she could feed herself. She's very independent. And so um, like when she, because she was born with a cleft lip and palate, she was not able to breastfeed. She could not latch. Mm -hmm. And so she was, she was always on a bottle. So we had to switch because of her surgeries. We ended up switching her from her bottle to a sippy cup on the earlier side because she couldn't have her bottle again after her second surgery. So we tried, I don't know how many different kinds of sippy cups and they have to be very specific according to the surgeon but what worked for her was taking it herself and I we didn't even come up with it my sister my sister-in-law was like well why don't you just let her try it and I was like all right and she did on a way 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 we went she may have liked you know five different cups before that but she didn't like that we were feeding them to her she even at 10 months she was like I'm gonna do this wow yeah so we have learned that that is important to her 
and try to help her find ways where she can be, she can make her own choices. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great perspective to have, especially when the kid's only five. And again, it's what's working for us now. We'll see what happens. Well, it's important to let your kid sort of have their own independence in a way that is not controlled, but sort of, sort of overseen by the parents. And again, it, it, in its way, it works for us because she's an only child. I'm not contending with a second child who's like, but I want this and I want that. You know, her needs are, you know, I'm not saying at all that she gets whatever it is she wants, but she, she's the focus. There's no splitting of my attention at dinner time between you. Well, you want this and you want this. I'm not making two different meals for two different kids. Yeah. Well, and, and that's sort of independence and having whatever you want are not necessarily the same thing. Right. Right. Like right. Being in Absolutely. Of of how of feeding yourself because you you're controlling the sippy cup. I might still be controlling what goes in there, but exactly I'm giving you that control. One of, one of the areas that the parents that I work with tend to struggle in the most is that letting go of control. Whereas I have found that I have to for my personal sanity. Yeah, and often like the parents I work with, often I mean parents who need control have kids who need control. Like that's your conflict. You need control and so do mm-hmm. they. You have to take control by letting go of control. You have to take right. control by giving them some control. Absolutely. She has two options for calcium. She can have uh-huh. yogurt, she can have cheese, but she has those options. So I'm controlling that aspect. She can have, you know, these different kinds of fruits, but again, I'm controlling the items. You know, we make those choices. And then she can choose from there. Okay, so we've done the dinner part. Food, check. Yeah, right? So let's go <laughs> on to the show. You know, we'll do dinner and a show. Great. Because um, one of the things we talked about prior to starting recording is that you've been pretty active in theater. Yes. Something that I often recommend to my clients, and I'm specifically talking about like my middle school and high school clients, not necessarily adults here, but this is the family show, so parents are wondering. <laughs> about what to do with their kids sometimes. And yep. my, my clients who struggle socially to find a place to fit in, to pl- find a place to be, I often advise them to just try out the theater club in high school or middle school and see what that's like. And my yes. logic there is that it's, it's a sort of a pre-made social group. You're all working towards a common goal and that it doesn't attract the super cool kids. Like it kind of attracts the the middle tier social crowd and sometimes the kids who are socially awkward, which might, if you, I mean, if you're a kid with ADHD trying to figure, trying to figure out social stuff, you might be a little socially awkward. Right. Since you were a theater kid, am I onto something <laughs> here? Am I wrong? Like how do, what do you think about that as advice? No, I, I would agree with you because, um, I mean, let's be honest, we're all a little weird and we're all weird in our own special and different ways. But I would say theater kids particularly are a little more accepting than I would say, quote unquote, average kids, because we don't all fit some mold. And there are so many different possibilities in the theater. You don't have to be an actor. Um, I have actually never been an actor on purpose ever in my life. There were times when I had to take acting classes to uh, graduate because I was actually a theater major, both for undergrad and grad school. So I, there were acting classes I had to take, but thank you. I will never do that again. <laughs> um, 
no, it's not good for anybody. <laughs> um, but there are so many creative outlets. And one of the things that I know that I have learned and I believe is reasonably um, popular science, I guess, is that ADHD kids do best when they focus on something that is of interest to them. Right. For instance, for my brother, it was computers. He can work on a computer all day long and he is happy as a clam. And there are all these things that he knows that I will never know in my life. But I am grateful to have him in mind. <laughs> you know, but theater kids, you can do props, you can do lighting, you can do sound, you can do scenery, you can build, you can create, you can be artistic, you can, you know, and you, can, you can also build muscle. You can act, absolutely. But what I'm saying is that there are options and possibilities. If you're maybe a little OCD, maybe you want to look into being a manager, <laughs> being a stage manager. I'm serious because you've got to be organized. You've got to have all your ducks in a row. And for me, because I started out as a stage manager, I liked having my thumb in all the pies. So I liked knowing what was going on everywhere. It was really great and interesting for me because I didn't really want to build sets. I liked making props, but it always bothered me when they were cut the last minute and I spent so much time working on them. You know, like <laughs> I liked doing lighting because that was really, um, you could change it in a second and see how cool it was, you know? And there are so many new options coming up with theater. People are trying different smells in theater. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you people, you can work in pyrotechnics. So, you know, if, if you like seeing flashy things, you can actually be certified in it. And it's a really tough field. Yeah, probably not in middle school and high school, but, but as you no. follow it into no. adulthood and their professional land. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's, it's things to think about. You can work in wigs and makeup. And there are not necessarily that many people in that field. So that's a, a, if you're really good, that can be a sought after position. But there are so many options and there are so many different types of people and you're all working towards a common goal and mm -hmm. everybody does their part to help and there are deadlines. So it's, it's a good learning aspect for kids who might have issues with follow through or with meeting deadlines. It's good for them to work with their friends on a common goal. And if it's something, if they're working with friends, they're getting support and it's maybe that thing that they are going to be really interested in. Now, you mentioned that the theater kids tend to be more accepting. Is there, do you have any insight as to why that is? Because it takes all kinds. Okay. Because I know I can't be an actor, but I need somebody else who's going to be an actor. Do you know what I mean? Especially from my end where I'm, as I'm a manager, I need people who are specialized in what they do. Okay. I don't need you to be great at all the things. I need you to be great at your thing because I want to trust that you can do what I need you to do. So basically there's a possibility for everyone. Yeah. It sounds like there's a pretty solid strength based approach going on in the theater. Yes. On top of which, it actually translates really well into a lot of different businesses as you grow. If you decide not to work in the theater as you grow up, um, you've already learned how to work well with others and sometimes how to work really well on a project on your own. You're a more creative thinker because you can think outside the box because theater isn't about boxes. 
so there's a lot of things that can be really interestingly translated into adult life if you choose to be in the theater. I can see that. If you're an actor, for instance, maybe you're really good at making speeches. You know, you don't have the same fear of standing in front of a crowd as other people do. Right. So you can make speeches. You can, you know, work with big numbers of people and not have fear of talking to all of them at the same time. You can like there it's a it's no small thing to be able to do that. You know, you, can you be a, um, a politician without being able to make speeches? Right. Yeah. Not as so someone much. who does that. <laughs> I, right. Exactly. I'm aware. Yeah. And I can't do that but you can, and we can work together and make it happen. Yeah. Because you can do the organizational backend stuff that I struggle with so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm here for you. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. Actually the way you described theater managing gave me some insight into my eldest sister, who is a stage manager and, yep. very, and now she's a, a fourth grade teacher, but very much mm-hmm. like what's going on, very much the coordinator of, all of the things, including just her neighborhood. Like she just, her whole neighborhood is all bonded and connected because she moved into it. Cause she just <laughs> everybody and invites people over and does stuff to keep everyone entertained and connected. And when they had a blackout over the winter for like three days, she, everybody went to her house to warm up at the fire. And now see, that's, that's interesting because she is an extroverted type of person. Whereas I'm an introverted person. So I'm good at the managing in the background scenes, but I'm not going to be the one to invite all the people over. She does a little bit of both. She does. She definitely does the managing and organizing and all that stuff. She's um, not super yeah. politically involved in her town, but a little like that's still a thing. And she yep. always knows what's going on, even if she doesn't have her thumb in that. Pod. Absolutely. Absolutely. I need, I'd like to know what's going on. Um, so that's funny. That's interesting. Maybe if you've got a kid that's interested in lots of stuff and likes to always know what's going on, maybe stage managing for them. (laughs) (laughs) I actually expanded that because I became a production manager. So what's the difference? So a stage manager is in charge of the show that they are working on in that moment. Mm I am in charge of an entire season. Oh, wow. Okay. So I work with all the staff to make all the season happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas I need the stage manager to focus on that show to work with me mm-hmm. to know that that show is getting what they need. So you've got sort of the they're next my, vision up. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah. They're my eyes on the ground and I'm the bigger picture. Wow. That's awesome. Before we wrap up, um, mm-hmm. cause I, I want to be mindful of time. We had a little trouble starting, so I'm a little thrown off, but um, before we wrap up, do you have any, ending essentials of with regard to ADHD. It doesn't have to connect to food or, a, or acting, but do you have any other thoughts around ADHD that you'd like to share? For our family transition is a big thing. Okay. So my nephew was really, really not good with transition as a, as a kid. And he's getting better as he gets older, as he's learning the process, you know, he's in public school. Um, so he knows what needs to happen. But when he was small, my, I remember talking with my sister about this. She's like, you just got to tell him what's coming. Mm-hmm. And so if there were days when I was watching him for the whole day, because this was also before my daughter was born, we'd get in the car and I'd be like, okay, we're going to go to this place and this place and this place and this place. And again, in my personal experience, and I'm not, I don't know that this is a fact, but ADHD seems to breed an extra intelligence level. Like they're very smart. They're very aware. Often, yeah. And 
And so, and as I said, I like, I don't know if that's a scientific thing or just in my experience, but I would say to him, okay, we're going to go first to, um, I'm just going to use some random like big name stores. We're going to go first to Target and then we're going to go to Costco and then we're going to go to Walmart and then we're going to go to the park for a while. So he knows that there's something coming for him. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going to get time to run around, but he can help track like, okay, we're going to get excited because, and, it, and how you talk to a kid about what you're going to do can make a difference because if you just like, oh, we got to run to the store, that's not fun for them. If I say to my daughter, do you want to come to the store to me with me and be mama's good helper? Mm-hmm. She's excited about that because that gives her opportunity to do something for and with me. So I automatically do it with my daughter because I learned to do it with my nephew. Yeah. And that's great. I do that with my boys all the time. And she then can keep track of where we are in our day. Right. Which helps her too. Yeah. And if they struggle with that, you can always just have a list. You can always just like, yep. it, like you can say like, we're going to go to Target and then we're going to go to Costco and then we're going to go to Walmart and then we'll go to the, the playground. And when you leave Target and get in the car, you can be like, hey, we just went to Target. Check right? it off the list. Yeah. And you can even give yep. them the list and have them cross Target off. If they're old enough to read. My daughter's on the cusp of the reading. So well, you can point to it. Like, I also says Target. <laughs> and then right. she knows which one to cross off. Sure. Absolutely. I also tend to bring um, her iPad with mm-hmm. us a certain amount because there are games, learning games. She doesn't mm-hmm. have like, uh, you know, she has PBS. She has ABC Mouse. Um, my husband is ADHD, but he hates computers. He would not work with computers if he didn't have to. Whereas my, my niece, my nephew, and my daughter, and my brother are all very computer savvy. Mm-hmm. So my daughter at five years old has her own iPad because it was given to her by another member of the family. So I don't yep. want people going out and thinking like, I'm buying my daughter a $500 iPad but I find it an extremely useful educational toy, and I use toy with quotes, um, that she can focus on if she's in the middle of a situation where she doesn't, she's like, okay, we've been to Target, we've been to Costco, I'm done. And in order to get us across the finish line, do you want to play a game on your iPad for a little while? Right. You know, she yeah. doesn't have to have the internet to play it, so she can do it wherever she is. And you're if not she playing could it read, long. Yeah. If she could, if she could read, I'd give her a book, but she can't yet. So I have to find a different way to keep her occupied and interested. Another thing that's good for that is, um, and she's old enough to do this part of it. The highlights magazine. Do you remember that from you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So highlights still exists and they have yep. even younger versions of it, but the, pictures there's like a picture in highlights magazine where they have like drawn into the picture there'll be a bunch of other pictures that are kind of hidden like a picture of a rake and a duck and there is no rake in the picture but if you look along the lines of like the skunk or whatever you can find the rake hidden inside the skunk mm-hmm. Do you remember those yep that is great for keeping kids occupied kids who can't read and they have to really focus to do to, to look for it and find it and then you can read the rest of the highlights magazine to them but it's a way right. to keep them occupied for a little while. And then that right. leads into, once they can read, that moves in very nicely to the I Spy books. Okay, good to know. The, the biggest risk with, um, with like specifically iPads and things of that nature 
is mm-hmm. that we're finding a correlation between spending too much time right and and sort of anxiety and heightened and uh, emotional dysregulation whether it's overexcitement or frustration or sadness or whatever it whatever it might present right. in your kid so like with my guys we limit it to an an hour a day on the weekends cuz they were definitely getting affected by it when they were younger um right we pulled it out and we would do experiments where we'd be like this week we're not using ipads let's see how how it affects how that you. goes yeah and every right, time totally. they were calmer and it's interesting because my my daughter i don't i know i should have a regulated amount of time mm-hmm. but i don't because that doesn't work for where we are right now she would rather spend time outside. So I'm really lucky that way because she wants, she, she's the kid who wants to run around outside. She wants to play with the dog. She wants to play with her niece and nephew. She wants to learn how to plant the flowers. She will spend all day outside given the opportunity. So I don't regulate her screen time because she has that underlying drive. Yeah, if she were, if she, my niece, for instance, is much happier spending time inside on her iPad. So when she comes over, when it's the three kids together, we're like, okay, great. You're home from school. You're off the iPad. Your homework is done. Go outside. And you're not coming back in again until dinner. And then you're going right back outside again. Right. And as soon as she gets there, she's happy and fine. Yep. But given the opportunity, she would stay inside on her iPad. So she definitely has different structure about it than um than my daughter does because my daughter's just going to go outside given the opportunity anyway that sort of speaks to that transition stuff too right like yes i usually try to to give her to tell her and this is a stage manager thing too i usually try to tell her she has five minutes until she comes back inside right so that she has a transitional warning because if i go out to her and say hey it's time to come in she starts whining (laughs) and oh my god the whining at five is like But, but if I say to her, okay, this is what we're going to do, you know, there might be a little bit of like, oh, I don't want to come in, but she'll come in because she knows it's the next thing. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.